Hi, this is David Dickens, and I think we've got a fun uh, podcast for you today. I have had a couple of questions in my office over the last month and a half. Will I owe taxes when I sell my house? So regardless of your stage in life, this could be a question that you're uh, facing, and so hopefully today's podcast will get you some answers. So let's get after it. Do you need help protecting your finances as you enter retirement? David Dickens of KC Financial Advisors has got you covered. Welcome to the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. So welcome to Cover Your Assets KC. Walter Stroll here alongside David Dickens, of course, president and wealth advisor of KC Financial Advisors, serving you throughout Kansas City and beyond with an office in Overland Park. David T's what we're going to talk about today, owing taxes when you sell your home, questions related to that. I remember having questions like these that we're going to cover on today's show, David, last time we sold our house. so um, And I kind of have already forgotten the rules, so this will be, <laughs> this will be helpful to remember uh, whether this is something that's on your horizon in the near future or even out in the distance uh, still a ways. Uh, before we dive into all of that, uh, I hope you're doing well, David. Are you all set for uh, Halloween in the household? Well, I've been to Costco and bought my couple of big bags of uh, stuff, nice. and I made sure that I didn't buy things that I like. That's the key, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> that is the yes. key for my house. <laughs> um, at least there are some things you don't like. You know, you could have that affliction where you like everything, and so you just, you're just out of luck from the get-go. Well, that is actually basic. That's my basic um, disposition is if it has sugar in it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat it gotcha, and probably gotcha. overeat it. But, so 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 what'd you get? Did you just get like the worst possible candies you can imagine? Or uh, what, what what falls under your <laughs> umbrella of, of non-favorites that you at least know that you don't uh, won't be tempted to eat? Well, they're candies that don't include Butterfinger, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, and uh, Snicker Bars. Okay, so those are the favorites. Those are the favorites. Those, nice. those never make it to the next morning. Butterfingers are incredibly addictive. They're so good. <laughs> I don't Especially even like those candy little... all that much, but a Butterfinger is a Butterfinger and special dark chocolate. I can't resist. Yeah, those little fun size Butterfingers are particularly diabolical. Mm-hmm. Yes, I just like how they stick just... to your teeth. Exactly. You just <laughs> pop one of those in your mouth, and all of a sudden it's gone. You're unwrapping the next one. That's right. They just somehow come out one after another. Well, very good, and uh, good luck making it to uh, Halloween (laughs) evening, not dipping into uh, those options that you got. Uh, Well, let's dive into this conversation, and it sounds like, based on you wanting to talk about this today, David, it's not necessarily that you're selling a house, but you've had a lot of clients asking about this over the past couple of months, right? I have, and they're in surprisingly different situations. So, I mean, this could be a a 35-year-old listener or a 70-year-old listener who's getting ready to downsize. So... Most people that I know haven't lived in their house for 40 or 45 years. They've moved around a little bit. And so, especially with home prices tending to rise over time, this is a topic that hopefully is um, of interest to most of our listeners. Yeah, I think it certainly will be. So when we go to sell our home, there are a billion things that you have to think about. One that folks either don't understand the nuances of or uh, just forget to think about it are when it comes to determining the taxability of the sale of a home. And whether if you've had a gain, which I think a lot of people, even if you've only held on to your home for a couple of years uh, as of today, it's likely to have had a decent gain, maybe an incredible gain for some people uh, in that home's value. And so they may not understand what moving pieces are involved in the taxability part of the home sale. So can you give us an overlay of what we should consider? Yeah, so the big moving pieces, and I need to preface this whole thing by saying this is not tax advice for any of our listeners. 
hopefully these are some really good uh, thoughts and ideas that you can ask your CPA when you go around get around to having your taxes done or as you're contemplating selling your house, well, what are these big moving parts? But again, this is not specific tax advice for any particular listener. So there's an ownership test which says, well, you have to have owned that home for at least two years. And there's a use test which says that it has to have been your primary residence for two of the last five years. So once those are accomplished, what you need to know is the, the big moving parts are that if you're filing as a single, the first $250,000 of home price appreciation is excluded from tax. And if you happen to be married filing jointly, then the first half a million dollars, the first $500,000 is excluded. Uh, you don't pay any tax on that gain as long as you've lived in the place for two years and it's been your primary residence for two of the last five. So those are the big moving parts. Unfortunately, the, the law that this is under was passed in 1997, and those exclusion amounts are not indexed to inflation. So back in 97, 98, 2000, 2006, these numbers were a lot bigger than they are today. But still, you do have a, a window of a, of a decent-sized number that you don't have to pay any taxes on up front. And I think this is important because this is one thing that tripped me up when I was first researching this and then started to get a little nervous um, when we were looking at this for for the sale of our last home. And then uh, things made sense with some more research. But just remember that those numbers are the gain, not the not the price of your home. So that was the mistake I made at first, David, when I first researched this and I was looking at like, oh, the price of our home might be over 500. Uh Oh, uh, we're going to have to pay taxes on that. What? And kind of went into freak out mode and then, you know. Get, did a little more research and got a little bit more clear. So Exactly. So so just a quickie little example might be helpful at this point. If somebody uh, paid, let's say, four hundred grand, four hundred thousand dollars for the home, and now they're selling it for seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. So that three hundred and fifty thousand dollar profit, if they're married filing jointly, it meet it falls underneath the five hundred thousand dollar exclusion. If they are filing as a single well, uh, 100000 of that $350,000 gain would be taxable. And then just, just one other example for the married filing joints. If they had uh, bought the same house uh, for $400,000, but now they sold it for a million one, all of a sudden that's a $700,000 gain. So some of that is very likely to be taxed as a capital gain in this case, $200,000 of the 700000 gain would be taxed as a capital gain for that married filing joint couple. What's the tax bracket for that capital gain? Well, again, generally speaking, if they are in the 10 or the 12% bracket tax bracket, then the capital gains rate is going to be zero. For everybody else, almost everybody else, you're going to pay a capital gains tax rate of 15%. If you happen to find yourself in the 35 or the 37% bracket, this is, this is a rounding error, but close enough for today's podcast, then you're going to pay 20% on those capital gains. So far, in most cases, far less than what you would pay if that uh, extra part of that gain was ordinary income. But if it's over and above those $250,000 and $500,000 limits, well, you do have to pay tax at that lower capital gains rate. 
Okay, very good. Now, David, I seem to remember because we had redone a lot of things in the home, new flooring, had painted the entire home inside, and also renovated the did a major kitchen renovation during the couple of years that we owned the home. So I seem to remember there being some sort of provision about home improvements maybe reducing that taxable gain. Is that right, or am I making that yep, up? Yep, that's exactly right. So if you're interested in that and you want to Google IRS Publication 523, which I Googled and I printed it out because I wanted to have some, some good examples of things that the IRS does include. So let's say you added a bedroom or you added a deck or a patio. Um, maybe you did some fairly extensive landscaping or you put in a swimming pool. Maybe you did wall-to-wall carpeting. That's still installed. So it's got to be, you know, it's got to be still in your house. Maybe you put in a new furnace or a central air conditioning unit or a lawn sprinkler system. Those are examples that you would find in IRS Publication 523. And all you need to do is to be able to document when you did those and how much you spent on those. And let's say your $200,000 taxable gain. So back to the example uh, that I just gave where somebody sold their house for that uh, $700,000 gain. 200,000 of it would be taxable, except that they were able to come up with some expenses here maybe $150,000 of improvements. So they're now, their $700,000 gain is now only $50,000 of taxable gain. So as long as you can document that you did those improvements and that the improvements still exist in your house, like for instance, you haven't ripped up that wall-to-wall carpeting or you know you put in some landscaping and then you ripped it out and put in some new stuff. But as long as it still exists, you get to add those up and subtract them from your gain. That's helpful to know and to understand, and it sounds like they're giving us a pretty wide berth there on what qualifies as those home improvements. I know a lot of times those programs then end up being really, really narrow, when, especially things for like uh, you know energy efficiency, tax deductions and stuff. You read the fine print, and it seems like you never actually qualify for those kinds of things. So Right. And one thing that is a, is a carve-out here is if you, let's say you put in some uh, energy-efficient windows, or some other thing where you got a tax credit on your tax bill when you did it, you have to subtract. You you can't double dip. You can't take you can't take that off of the gain of your house and have gotten a tax credit in a prior year. So what you need to do is take the net amount of the expense, add back in the tax benefit you already got, and that's the amount that you get to reduce from the from the gain on the house. No double dipping allowed. Good no double that. dipping. Iris <laughs> hates that. <laughs> Good to know. All right. Uh, I got one other caveat for you to see if this causes any problems. I'm trying to throw a wrench in the plans here, David. Um, What about inheriting a home? Have you had a client run into that before? And does this make everything differ? It does make a a big difference because so I I actually had that in the last six months as well. When you inherit a, a piece of real estate, it's almost certainly you don't pass the ownership test because you haven't owned it for at least two years. And it probably wasn't your primary residence for the last two or five years. So it really just becomes a regular asset that you inherited. And the the cool thing about that is whether you inherit stocks or bonds or a piece of real estate, the cost basis, the, the taxable basis of that is the date of death of the person you inherited it from. So let's go back to the... Um, my example, a $400,000 home that is now worth $750,000 and you just inherited it. So 
it doesn't matter what the what the deceased person paid for it. Your cost basis is seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, and if by the time you sell it, it goes up to seven hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars, then that twenty-five thousand dollar gain is taxable to you, depending on how long you've owned that house. It's either a short-term gain or a long-term gain. So that is out of the realm of this uh, selling of your home. And then, Walter, one other thing that I kind of meant to mention earlier, but there's a special, another special little carve-out. If you are widowed or if you're a widower, if you sell that home within two years of your spouse's death, so you were you were married. Your spouse died. You decided after eighteen months, I can't I can't live here anymore. I got to downsize or whatever your situation is. As long as it's within the first two years of your spouse dying, you get the five hundred thousand dollar exclusion, as if you were still married and your and your spouse was not deceased. If you wait for more than two years, then your exclusion goes back to two hundred fifty thousand dollars for a for a single person. So that happens quite a bit. Uh, one of the I, I had a widow who was going to move to independent living, and she she was only less than two years out from when her husband died. So she was eligible for the five hundred thousand uh, dollar exemption, and that made her pretty happy because they had been in the home quite some time, and did have a large gain built up. Oh, that's great. Good differences and uh, ways to kind of draw some of the comparisons here. So, David, if somebody is listening to today's show, this information's been helpful to them, but perhaps they haven't gone through the full planning process with you. Is this the kind of question somebody can come to you with and kind of begin their whole planning conversation, especially I would imagine if they're close to retirement, this discussion gets really important when we start talking about taxes and where you're going to live that sounds like the launching point for a lot of people when they get serious about retirement planning. Yeah, it really is. That's that's kind of foundational to the entire planning process because in a lot of cases uh, in America, our home is our biggest or one of our biggest assets. So selling it, especially at retirement or when you lose a spouse, well, those are really big decisions uh, both emotionally as well as financially. So that is always a, a foundational piece of the discussion that we have as we're putting it together a plan for for someone. And then, uh, especially if it gets the slightest bit gnarly, we'll want to call in a, a an actual tax, licensed tax expert to make sure that the advice we give right off the top squares with with what the CPA would say. Either way, it's really important with the sale of such a big asset to make sure that you get some good advice uh, that you C will, you know, hopefully, almost always, if you know the rules, they're going to benefit you. Um, so finding out the rules and, and seeing how you can work them to your benefit can be a really good thing. That's awesome. Thanks for the information today, David. If you've got further questions about this topic or something else as it relates to financial and retirement planning, give David a call. The number is 913-317-1414. That's 913-317-1414. Or you can go online to coveryourassetskc.com. That's coveryourassetskc.com. And you can get in touch with David through the website as well. Appreciate the help, David. Enjoy some of that Halloween candy. Give yourself a few pieces, all right? Don't, <laughs> don't, don't let the holiday go by without at least getting uh, you know, getting yourself one Butterfinger in there. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. I'll report back. <laughs> you can't just have one. That's the problem. With it. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Very good. Hope everybody enjoys Halloween, and uh, we will talk to you again soon right back here on Cover Your Assets, Casey. 
Advisory services offered through Creative One Wealth LLC, an investment advisor. KC Financial Advisors and Creative One Wealth LLC are not affiliated. We are an independent financial services firm helping individuals create retirement strategies using a variety of insurance products to custom suit their needs and objectives. The information and opinions contained in this program have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. They are given for informational purposes only and are not a solicitation to buy or sell any of the products mentioned. The information is not intended to be used as the sole basis for financial decisions, nor should it be construed as advice designed to meet the particular needs of an individual situation. This material has been provided by a licensed insurance professional for informational and educational purposes only and is not endorsed or affiliated with the Social Security Administration or any government agency. It is not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for accounting, legal, tax, or investment advice.